Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Jason. Well, last week, uh, I was accused of rushing through things I had no business rushing through. And so many of you have called me on it, and I have, uh, we're going back to last week's sermon and basically reviewing the bigger, the, the first part of the sermon and then really getting more in depth in the part that we kind of uh, rushed through. But not only that, what I'd like to do this morning is also give you an illustration of maybe something that can uh, maybe bring even more clarity to what we were discussing last week. And it's really that idea of looking at really what the biggest picture is. I, I, I challenge you many times to look at the big picture. I believe we serve a God who's a big picture God. And, and I believe there's something that if we don't take notice of, we could totally miss with our lives as it relates to what he's up to. Now, for many people, if you were to look at most, much of the world, you're going to see that there's really two types of worldviews that are out there when it comes to different faiths, different religions, or whatever. Uh, there's much of the world, probably maybe even half the world, that looks at history, uh, looks at life in a cyclical fashion. And, and basically, it's that idea that the worldview is that we're just kind of sitting here spinning our wheels. Uh, history's not really going anywhere. It's just going in circles. Hinduism, Buddhism, those faiths or those religions, they kind of hold to that perspective. And what you find in that is many times you can find hopelessness in that. You, you definitely see that there's no direction to life except for maybe spinning out a little bit, moving a little higher on the system, so to speak. But this is a worldview that the Bible really totally rejects. This is not the worldview of Scripture. The worldview of Scripture, as we discussed last week, is very directional. It's very directional. So I want to use this illustration here, this rope, to kind of show you what I'm talking about. The rope represents that there's a directional worldview of time in history. In the past, there was just eternity. Then God made time, and then on the other side of time, there will be eternity again. Okay? Now, when you look at it from the context of heaven, it's all been eternity. But God put markers in, in eternity called time. And we understand that possibly from looking at this rope or, or what this rope represents. And so there's a defined beginning and a defined end. In Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning of time, God created the heavens and the earth. And then you fast forward all the way to the end of the Bible and you have the book of Revelation. And what you find there in the book of Revelation is that at that point, there's going to come a point where time will end once again and then there will be eternity. Now that is what we find in the Bible. If you say, give me a big picture of the Bible, that's what you'll find. Now, time, and this is interesting, was created with an unfolding plan in the mind of God. As time began from Genesis 1-1 to where we are today, there was an unfolding of the purposes and intentions of God. Now, beyond the rope, now what I tried to do, and I don't know that I've succeeded, I tried to find a rope that would cover the length of the building, and I kind of came up a little short, okay? Uh, but anyway, I want, you to, I want you to imagine with me that within this building sits time. Everything on the outside of this building represents eternity. And so when you say, okay, time and eternity, where does it fit? Well, time fits in eternity. 
And so this building will literally, because it represents time, this is time. Now, there's really no way to represent eternity. You can't do it. Now, a lot of guys will bring a rope up here, and I've seen it done many studies, many sermons. There's actually a rope hanging in our prayer room that, that, that has a little red dot on it. It kind of shows where we are in the complexity of time. But you really can't demonstrate eternity. How many of you have been able to pull that off? You can't really do that, can you? So let's just say it's beyond the walls. This red tube represents the possibility of your life. We were included. Now, here's what we need to understand about this tube. We were included in the unfolding plan of God to accomplish his purposes and his ways. And so this tube represents you. It represents your life. For those of you who know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he's, you're a part of his redemptive plan. You went from darkness to light by way of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so this represents your life before Christ. This represents your life after Christ. Now, why is that important? Because your life after Christ will go into eternity in a different way than if you did not receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. So eternity hangs in the balance of what this life is actually all about. And this life, if you know him, if you accepted him on his terms and basically repented of your sins, turned your life over to him, born again, you, you, your eternity has a direction. While if we're still in our sin, that's a whole different direction as it relates to eternity. But all that is determined in the midst of time. But it goes beyond that. It comes to the purposes of God, what he desires with this life. Now, I want you to think about this. This rope and where we fall on its continuum. The Bible says in Galatians 4, 4. Now this is speaking of Jesus Christ himself. But when the fullness of the time had come, when God looked at time that he created, and he, he basically wanted to inject Jesus Christ into time physically, what he did, it says, he sent him. He sent him into time. And that's the, what we, we see. Now, was, was Jesus before time? Was he in b before uh, time was created? Of course. Good theology tells you that. But there came a point where God sent him into time, okay, for our benefit, for the redemptive plan of God. So he sent him into time. Now, there's another way of looking at this. God also sent us into time. Not really sent us into time, but put us into time. So here's the, here's the difference. Jesus was sent into time. We were put into time. Think about that. You look at other world's views, other world systems, and what you'll find is there's always been this coexist of, of things back there. We're just going around in circles and all that. No, no. According to, to the Bible, we were put into time. Now, how many of you have seen a uh, uh, read of history in the 1400s and 1600s, and you think, Thank God he put me into the 21st century. You, you, you ever been there? I mean, you start looking at And then some of us wish for simpler times. Maybe we think we should have been back there in the 1700s, 1800s. But the point of this is I want you to see the big, big picture is the fact that you were put into time. And we were put for such a time as this. I want you to think about that. That's powerful when you think about it. Talking about seeing beyond 2020. Now, I want to go back to the verses last week. Psalm 139, for you form my innermost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks and praise to you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. In your book were all written the days that were appointed for me. 
the days that will be given, the days that will consist of my life. It's not only my days, it's when my days were appointed. I was put into time. We were put into time. And if that's not directional enough for you, Paul, as I said in the verses last week, said this. He's at the end of his life. He says, the time of my departure is at hand. This ending point is about to come to an end. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, that thing that his life was always pointed to, righteousness, that he would be seen and be made acceptable before his God. And so we look at a life and what it contains. Now, a life, what we find here in this illustration is a life that's directional, purposeful, and fulfilling. It's the idea of seeing beyond where we sit here today, looking at the biggest picture imaginable. Now, I've entitled this sub-message as myopia, which means short-sighted, inability to see far off, lack of foresight, lack of future discernment, lack of, for the better word of, of seeing it, is lack of seeing the big picture. I think it's important. I really do. I think it's important that we understand who we are. I think it's important that we understand the mind of God, our creator. And I, need, I think it's important that we understand what are the purposes that he's attempting to do in our life. And for us to fully understand that, we need to understand where we fall when it comes to the life that he's given us. He has put us in to time. Now, look at the introduction on your outline. From the pages of God's word, we discovered that we are called to not only live a life of faith and courage, those are the things we saw in the previous weeks, but also a life of direction and purpose, which in turn will provide us a life of satisfaction and fulfillment. If, if we look at this, I just don't think we've been called to just exist and survive in this, in this way. I think it's something that he's up to in and through our lives. So turn to Genesis chapter 24 once again. In Genesis chapter 24, we find Abraham has an assignment for his most trusted servant, Eleazar. Now keep in mind, as we'll see in this chapter, that Eleazar appears to get his, his significance, his fulfillment from serving his master, Abraham. There's something that he's been called to do. And that's what he's done with all his life. We're introduced to Eleazar back in Genesis chapter 15. He's been with Abraham for many years. It's almost like he's uh, given his life to serve Abraham. And his significance, his fulfillment, his purpose in life has come from that. Because Abraham was someone who was called of God to do great things. And Eleazar believed in the great things that Abraham was called to, and he stayed with him, and he did what God called him to do through it. But here's the first thing we need to understand. If we're to fully understand what our lot in life is all about, why we've been put into history like God has put us, there's something we need to understand. We need to, first of all, as we said last week, determine our position. We need to determine our position. Not only the fact he's given us life, but when that life has come about. And what has he called us to? Eleazar, we read in verse one, was a servant of Abraham. So who are you and whose are you, as I said last week, must be discovered before you can see the big picture of your life. God is the only one that can give you the true meaning of life. He created time. He created purpose with that time. He created you. And he put it all together, and it all rests 
upon you, and what will you do with it? So where are you now? Where are you now? Maybe you're on this side. Maybe you're still in the black. Maybe you're still, according to what, what the scripture calls, dead in sin. Maybe you don't understand the redemptive plan of God and, and the fact that he has a purpose for you and he wants you to overcome great things, but it's got to start with you coming to him with his redemptive plan of bringing you into fellowship with himself. Here's another thing. Where are you now? Are you just starting out? Maybe when it comes to this life, maybe you've already crossed over into eternal life. Maybe you know him as your Lord and Savior, and now you're just, you're on the other side of it all, and you're preparing yourself, and you see God doing great things. He's starting to, life is starting to unfold in front of you, and you begin to see some things. Maybe you're here, and you've really never seen the big picture. You're on, you're on the sideline. You're just surviving. You're, or maybe you're one who's staying the course, as tough as it's been. You're staying the course. I think it's important when we understand the Psalm 139 passage where we're wonderfully and fearfully made that we understand not only does our life have purpose, but the things that we're intended to do, he's equipped us for. He's put those things within us. So what are your gifts? What needs to be developed in you? You see, when you think about this rope, this is when we are. Think about that. This is when we are. Now let's carry it a step further. What about our church? God has called us together. Maybe this could represent our church. Think about that. This is where we are in history. Can you imagine the first century church and the challenges that it had? Can you imagine God calling the first century church the way he did? And you had the church at Antioch, the church at Jerusalem, the church in Rome. And you had all these churches that were out there and God placed them there. And they were intended to accomplish his purposes. Think about where we are today. Pleasant City Church, we're right here. This is where we are. This is the when. This is when we are. It's our time. Now let me just say this. There's a lot of churches and you're going to hear more and more, and I wish it were different, but it's not the case. Every week, we're hearing the churches closing their doors. And it was happening before COVID, by the way. And they continue to close doors, and they continue to close their doors, and they continue to close their doors. And it's sad. I, I mean, I can't imagine uh, just seeing. I mean, it, it breaks my heart to see churches with, with four sale signs out front. It breaks my heart to see that those, those churches, and let me just say, there's unfinished work that was not done there. But the time comes when we've been called to reach our generation, to reach those around us. This is the time in which we've been placed. We haven't been placed in the 50s. We haven't been placed in the 60s. We haven't been placed in the 70s. We've been placed in the 2010s or whatever you call this time. I don't even know what you call it. The 2020s now. But, but we've been placed at this point where we're called to engage our culture. And that is the position in which we're called, not only as individuals, but individuals who make up the body of Christ who's attempting to do great things for him. Second of all, define your purpose. When it comes to you personally, when it comes to us as a church, our significance and fulfillment will come from purpose, a focus and passion to accomplish something great for the kingdom. If you look at chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, we see the whole purpose for Eleazar and what he's been called to do. There was something specific that he specifically was called. You've been called to something specific. We've been called to something specific. Abraham gives Eleazar a focus 
in life, a purpose. It was clear, it was plain, it was specific. Now, the question is this. When it comes to the purposes that we have, whether individual or as a church, is it a God-given purpose? Is it born out of prayer? Is your purpose possibly right in front of you? There's some of our purposes that have been laid out in front of us. Like I said last week, some of you are married. There's purpose in marriage. Some of you are parents. There's purpose in, in being a parent. Some of you are in the places you are in your employment or wherever you find yourself or, or, or where you are in the role of the church. All those things are important. That's what brings purpose. One thing I've noticed about purpose in my life is there's something called seasonal purpose. God only gave me so many years with our children. God will only give you so many years with your children. And the thing that you th need to think about is this. What are you impacting in those years? What, what are you doing in those years that he's given you to invest in those children? The same thing with the people in your life. There's people, there were people back in my 20s that invested in me and I invested in them. Guess what? In my 30s, it, it, it got changed up a little bit. And there were other people that God brought into my life that poured into me and I poured into them. There's seasonal times where we're here for each other. And then there's that whole overarching life purpose. What's the life purpose of our lives? For us as individuals, for us as a church, think about your own life. Determine your position, define your purpose, evaluate your direction. And here's what we learn from Jesus about our overarching purpose when it comes to those of us who know him. From Jesus, we learn that we are to be influencers wherever we are. You say, what does that mean? We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. Everything salt touches, it influences. Everything that light touches, it influences. And that's what we've been called to be. So if you say, what's the overarching premise of my life? To be salt and light. Thirdly, third step to directional, purposeful, and fulfilling life, discover a promise. Can your promise or your purpose be found in Scripture? Abraham was given a promise, and for that promise to be realized, Isaac had to have a wife. And that's the whole meaning of what Eleazar was about to help accomplish the purposes of God here on earth through Abraham, through Isaac, that Isaac would, be, would have a wife. And that was out there. It was God-given. It was part of the continued unfolding plan of God for that to happen. And he was just a small part of that. I want you to think about our lives. Many times we think, well, we have no significance. Maybe we think, man, we're just kind of on the low rung. Or, or, or we think, man, does it really matter? Listen, sometimes, sometimes we have smaller roles than other people. So, sometimes, but our role is just as important as the big roles. Eleazar's purpose was just as, pur just as purposeful as anyone else. He had a role to play. There was something that was asked of him that God desired from him for this moment in time, for it to continue, for God's purposes and plans to continue to unfold. The purpose of your life, listen, I love this, this quote. The purpose of your life is br the bridging of your life with God's promises. Purpose and direction in life comes from focusing your life on the promises of God's word. What are the promises? Join him in those promises. A fourth step, describe the prophet. You would think that Eleazar was thinking, what's in it for me? You know, Abraham's obviously going to benefit from this. He's going to get a daughter-in-law. Isaac, he's going to get a wife. Uh, so many people are going to benefit from what I've been called to do. 
But really, you know, what's really in it for me? Let me just tell you, uh, probably the most less fulfilling life you can have, the most unfulfilling life you can have is when you're always asking what's in it for me. I have noticed in my life that those things that, that really mean much to me are bigger than me. They, they really rest outside of me. But we've been programmed in our society to look at everything through the lens, what's in it for me? How will it benefit me, 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 me? And we miss so much because of that. And we've got to realize, we've got to back away. There's a bigger, better plan. Listen, the prophet would be that Abraham would be pleased. Isaac gets a bride. God's word will be fulfilled. And as a result, God will be glorified. You're talking about living for something bigger than yourself. That's what you find. You see, fulfillment is the attempt to fill the void that rests in the deepest part of who we are. There's so many people out there. And listen, I... I Mental illness, I, I, I personally have dealt with some of it in my own life. I, I, I have. I, I guarantee you most of us in this room have dealt with it to some measure. Maybe it was a seasonal thing. Maybe it was something we went through, something that just rocked our world. Maybe it's something we deal with on a day-to-day basis. But I'm here to tell you not all mental illness is linked to just illness in and of itself. There's a spiritual context a lot of times to mental illness. And I'm convinced a lot of Ill, Ill, mental illness is born out of the fact that we're not doing what we were created to do sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes it is. I'm speaking from personal experience. When when I'm not moved towards the things of life that will truly fulfill me, and I keep coming up empty because of my striving and moving in the direction my flesh wants or what I want or what the world tells me I need, and I continue to move in that direction, it it brings emptiness and it continues to bring emptiness, that's going to have an effect on you. But boy, when you can find something out there that's bigger than you are, that's going to bring the greater good, that's going to, God can use it mightily when it comes to the bigger picture of what history and time has always been about. Boy, that is where God wants to work in all of us. Fulfillment is realized in life when our focus is not on ourselves, but pleasing God and serving others when we do what we were created to do. A fifth step, diagnose the problem. Did you know once the, war, once the world or the earth fell in ruin at the fall of man, all the way to when there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth when we go to this directional mode, did you know that every task has come with problems How many of you are living examples of that? It's almost like you can't see the purpose. You can't see what's right there in front of you because there's so many obstacles. There's so many things that keeps us from seeing it. You see, when you have a God-given purpose, it does not mean you're not going to have problems. We live in a fallen world. Our flesh wants what it wants at times, and it gets in the way. Our faith at times is tested. But I want you to look at Chapter 24, look at verse 8. Eleazar had an issue. He basically said, okay, you want me to go find a wife for Isaac? You want me to go to a foreign land? Abraham, I'm willing to do all that. But verse 8, and if the woman's not willing to follow you, 
then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed for all his master's goods were in his hands. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Naor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the wall by a well of water at evening time, the time when women would go out to draw water. Verse 13, behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. You see, Eleazar had an obstacle there. There was a problem there. How was he to know who is the one God chose for, for Isaac? How do I identify the woman? How, how will I know, uh, how will I know that, how will I get the girl to even agree to come back with me? You see, in life, anything worthwhile has challenges, has challenges and problems associated with it. Have you ever wondered why that has to be so? Well, we do have a fallen world we're dealing with, right? But we also know that we can't please God apart from faith. Most of the time, the problems, obstacles we deal with are faith-building opportunities. That is the part that connects to the heart of God. That is the part that he desires. So what are, what are the obstacles? Think about your life. What are the obstacles between where you are and where you need to be? When it came to leading our church years ago, and I kind of flavored this a lot more last week, but years ago when it came to leading our church, I knew there were certain things we needed to consider to continue to be functional in reaching the world we were called to reach. And there were decisions we had to make that were very difficult. And to be honest with you, I, I had a hard time leading through some of these changes because some of these changes were uncomfortable for me too. And there were things that God was, was showing us and those obstacles. But the point was, I think where God helped me see is I knew where we are, but I also knew where I thought we needed to be. And I thought there were some things that God wanted us to do, some changes we needed to make. And some of those changes I know could not have been difficult for the people that were here because it was different. It was different than what we had always done. There were different buildings we were meeting in. There, were diff there was different music. There was different, I mean, everything seemed to be different. One thing we didn't get away from was, the, was teaching the word, though. We couldn't get away from that. But we could come to a point where we saw our, our church as one that could thrive in this community if we would continue to be relevant to the people and their needs and what God had for them. And that was a driving goal. But there were some problems. There were some obstacles we had to address. The same thing can happen in your own life when you began to deal and start to move your life in a certain direction, maybe to move it from your flesh to what the Spirit of God wants in your life. Maybe it's to move from the selfishness in your life to the unselfishness in your life that God can really bring greater fulfillment in your life. There will be some obstacles. You need to determine where you are, what those obstacles are, and move into what God has for you. You see, the problems are worked out through prayer and the plan. And the thing that we need to understand is that problems always must be anticipated because they'll come in this life. A sixth step, desire in prayer. Look at verse 12. Eleazar, he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. I want you to think about that verse. Again, the prophet didn't center around him. He wanted success in the task because he knew it would bring great fulfillment to his life to please Abraham. 
That blows my mind. That way of thinking, we don't find much in the world in which we live right now. We find what's in it for me. God, grant me success today that I will have greater benefits. I will have greater blessings in and of myself. It was enough just to know he was fulfilling the purposes of his master to continue the task. That was his fulfillment. Let me tell you what prayer does in this whole focus. Prayer shows the strength of our desire and our dependence upon God. Prayer also reveals the unfolding plan God has for us. What he has for you as an individual, what he has for our church. Prayer is where we link up to know the heart and mind of God himself. Next, the seventh step is design a plan. Eleazar had a plan. There were, he, there were these obstacles that remained that were there. He's definitely wanting success for the task, and he knew his fulfillment would come, but he had to come up with a plan. So look at verse 14. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will give her, and I will also give her camels a drink. Let her be the one you appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, son of Malchah, the, the wife of Naor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman who was very beautiful to behold, a virgin, and no man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my Lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when he had finished giving him, she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. Y'all camels drink a lot of water. This may have been a half day's task that this woman has bit off for herself. But how many of you wish sometimes God operated that way? You remember his call? Yeah, well, always he does, but sometimes it's not as clear, is it? It's a little different than what I said last week. Lord, if, the, if, the, if the, the green light comes when I count to three, then I'll know you're in this, right? We have to be careful. Sometimes it reveals a little immaturity. Sometimes we need to work through the process a little more than that. But here in this case, at the core of who Eleazar was, here's, here's the difference a lot of times between us and, and, and where Eleazar is. A lot of times ours is for selfish gain. He was looking for the purposes of God to be met in his life and through his life. And many times it's selfish gain, if we would be honest. His plan included going to her family's house, explaining the situation, and carrying her back to meet Isaac. Boy, what a task. So, so think about your situation. What are the specific steps to fulfill your purpose? For a Gardner Webb student or a student in high school or college, maybe it's to finish your education. What's the plan? Maybe it's getting out of debt. What, what, what is it? What, what does it incur when it comes to the plan to understand what God's calling you to? What's your purpose? Let me ask you a question. Do you have a vision statement for your life? Do you have a mission statement for your life? I know people would do. It's pretty cool when you, you hear people tell. And some people would have a general mission statement. I just want to glorify God with all my life. That's a great mission statement, by the way. Implementing that 
is a pretty big task too. But really, what is your vision statement? Your, what about for your marriage? What about for your raising your children? What about for the ministry that you have? Which, by the way, all of us have been called into some type of ministry. What's your overarching plan for life? Can you write down your plan? You see, a plan with steps provides focus. It's literally the blueprints to significance and fulfillment. Keep in mind that at any point, however, and this is what I've found, God can interrupt the plan. Sometimes we can misconstrue something, get off, a little, get off off track a little bit. God can interrupt the plan. And by the way, the timing, that's one thing about leading this church over the years. I often knew where I thought God was carrying us, but sometimes I was a little fuzzy on the timing because there were times where God told me to be patient and, and, and I kind of got ahead of things. How many of you ever done that? Yeah, you can make a big mess out of that, by the way. But God, let me tell you what God's done. And I'm going to talk about this in just a moment. God's surrounding me with people right here in the church, other leaders, who said, well, we might want to kind of hold up on some of that. Let's just see, let's just see this first. And there, most of the time, I graciously just trusted their wisdom. There were times I felt like, no, I, th- I really feel like now's the time to pull the trigger. And so we have to, you got to understand what God's up to when it comes to your life. Next, the eighth step to directional, purposeful, and fulfilling life, discipline your personality. Listen to this quote. A life of direction must be disciplined to overcome distractions. you got to have a life of discipline. Nothing in life is accomplished without discipline. Jesus may have very well put it best when I think he described what discipline is. Dying to self for a greater cause. I think that's really, when you think about what godly discipline is all about, it's the idea of dying to self for a greater cause, his cause. So what do we need to discipline? First of all, we need to discipline our mind. Look at verse, chapter 24, look at verse 21. And the man, this is Eleazar, wandering at her, Rebecca, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. He sat there, he contemplated, he meditated. Can I just tell you this? A lot of people don't contemplate anymore. How many of you contemplate? Now, you know what we used to do? We used to go to get our car service, and maybe some of us would pick up the magazine and read the magazine, but you know what a lot of us used to do? We used to sit there and probably think, now what's the first thing that comes out of our pocket or our pocketbook? Got to get the phone out, got to see. We don't, we, don't, we don't allow any time anymore for contemplation, for meditation, to just, just get along with our thoughts. For some of us, it's a way of dealing with guilt and shame. For other people, it's just a way of, of just staying busy and thinking through this and doing that. And We've got to be careful with that, but he disciplined. He, listen to this. He didn't say the first thing that came to his mind. He wisely sized up the situation. He discerned the situation. He didn't just react. He became very discerning about what was in front of him. I think that's what's missing in our world today. We're so busy. We're so easily distracted that we just kind of move through the motions. And sometimes the first thing that hits our minds comes right out of our mouth. How many of you, that's always worked for you? We got to learn to discipline our mind. How about appetite? Chapter 24, look at verse 33. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And he said, speak on. And so basically, 
Here's the thing we know about Eleazar. The purpose in which he was called to do was always before him, even before his appetites kicked in. And that's the same thing that should be operating with us. And that's the reason many of us never accomplish what we desire to accomplish is our appetites take over. We become distracted by our appetites. His purpose, his focus was more important than his appetite. You see, our appetites can cause us to lose focus, to not see the big picture, to lose sight of what our life is all about. But not Eleazar. He disciplined his appetites. I know many people that started well. How many of you know people who just started well in life? They seem to have a, there seemed to be direction in their life. They seem to know exactly what God was calling them to. And, and, and they start down and their life is here. And, and then all of a sudden, there's an appetite that rises up within them. I mean, their life looks so promising. They had such tremendous gifts. They didn't know how to deal possibly with spiritual warfare when the enemy came at them. There was something that came in their life, just kind of rocked their world, and they turned from focus and, and, and what God desired to their appetites. For some of them, it was a form of escape to, 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 to deal with what they, the perceived failures in their life. And they went a different way. And you see, the appetite is what can really destroy the bigger picture the overarching purposes of our lives. Next, discipline your speech. Look at verse 49. Discipline your speech. Now, if you will deal kindly and truthfully with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may return to the right hand or to the left. Now, now basically, he just kind of explained his situation. If you read the whole story, I don't have time. He explained the whole situation, why Rebecca, why Isaac needed a wife. He explained it. And then he just basically, if you think about it, he basically just put it on the father, on the family. It's your move next. But look at what he did before that. If you read the story, he carefully lays out the plan and the purpose of what is at stake. He was asking, here, here, here's something else is going on. He was asking, desiring to hear. When you look at this verse, he was not man manipulative. He was teachable. He was very diplomatic. There was a purpose that was greater than his own selfishness where the manipulation didn't have to happen because he was operating on a whole different level, which I believe we've been called to. See, many times we don't accomplish our purpose because we can't get control our tongue or we try to manipulate things that work out for our good instead of the better good. Lastly, discipline your time. Look at verse 54. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Of course, as Eleazar and the men that came with him. Then they arose in the morning and, and he said, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least 10. After that, she may go. And he said to them, listen to this, do not hinder me. Don't delay me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away so that I may go to my master. Now, he wasn't saying to leave without Rebecca. He was basically overlooking the holdup and the delay. And he said, no, this is urgent. This is what I've been called to do. Don't delay this process. This is important. This is important. 
And we see here that, that this man, Eleazar, was a, aware of the time. You, you see, people with the proper focus use their time wisely. They know when to be patient, but they also know when urgency is needed. That's the key with any good leadership. It's the key with anyone who's trying to lead their family. It's anyone who's looking for wisdom, knowing when to be patient and when to be urgent. Eleazar's focus and purpose brought discipline to his life. You see, when there's no discipline, there's no direction, which leads, unfulfillment, which leads to unfulfillment. The ninth step, depend on people. I want you to think about this continuum of your life. And, and this is what's fascinating to me in this illustration is there were peoples who lived all back there. There's going to be generations, maybe not many more, but there's going to be generations that's going to outlive us. But have you ever thought about where God placed you and the fact that he brought certain people into the same place you were? It's very intentional. You say, well, I'm not so pleased with some of the people he sent my way. I understand that. But he did send others, didn't he? That they can pour into us. Verse 50, if you go back to verse 50. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the, things, the thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either good or bad. The father was basically saying, we, can't, we don't really know everything here, but here's what we're going to do. Here's Rebecca before you. Take her and go. Let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Boy, that, there's a lot said there. But what did it take for it to be fulfilled? For Eleazar to do what he's called to do, other people had to be involved. Other people had to come on board. Other people had to be convinced. Other people were needed to help accomplish the greater purposes of God. And boy, when Eleazar saw it all come together and the plan was unfolding right there, he couldn't help himself. He was in all of what God had done. And I guarantee it wasn't all about him. He was in all how God could have used him and the way he used him. I'm sure that's what it was about. You know why? Because I've experienced that. I know you have. I've talked to some of you. We're amazed that God can use us in the ways that he uses us. None of this would have been possible if not for Rebecca's family. So look on your outline. Do you realize that God has placed other people in your life to help you to fulfill your purpose? God has made life where we cannot succeed without others. And that's what Will and Lydia were talking about a while ago. And that's what we promote here. We've got to do life with other people. We've got to have people pouring in. We've got to be pouring into other people's lives. It's a life, that, the life we've been called to, there's an interconnectedness that God desires for us to have with one another. God made life where we cannot succeed without others. We need others to bring fulfillment to our lives. We need others to help us accomplish God's purposes. And so therefore, this rope represents time. It represents history. Here's where we are. And God has surrounded other lives around us to help us continue to live the purpose, the greater purposes of our lives. But I want you to think about this. He's also put the church together. Let's just say this represents the church. And here we are. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that God builds the body. There's ears in the body. There's hands in the body. There's eyes in the body. And he's assembled a group of people together that we call the local church. And we call it Pleasant City Church. And he's assembled us in such a way that we have to learn to depend on one another, not just to survive life 
and do life together, but to accomplish his will and his ways and his purposes. And as a result, we've seen missionaries leave from this place. There's people that we support. We see people in active ministry in other places here in North Carolina and South Carolina, different places, because we were faithful to the task to build one another up. We came to the conclusion that we need each other to accomplish God's purposes, and we live those things out together. And can you imagine if that just continues and continues and continues? That's what he desires. Eleazar saw that God, God saw God work in the plan, which included the others affirming the plan. Then he was in awe of what God had done through him. You see, a directional, purposeful life is a worshipful life filled with awe and wonder. When's the last time you looked at something God did and said, wow, I never dreamed he could have done that with that. That was the most painful time of my life. But look what he produced. Lastly, we need to deposit the price. Look at verse 53. Then the servant brought out silver, jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and her mother. Blessings followed when people, when they lined up. When they lined up, the blessings flowed. Fulfilling your purpose, listen, will cost something. For Abraham, it cost him something. Abraham sent 10 camels worth of precious jewels. It cost something to get a, son, to get a bride for Isaac. It may even require sacrifice. Listen to this. Jesus said for us to find true fulfillment in life, it would require us, as I said before, to die to self. To die to self. Eleazar knew that he, had a, that he was a steward of what he received. He knew that what he'd been given had been given to him to achieve the purposes of his master. Same thing with us. We've been given certain things. What have we been given? Treasures. Look on your outline. We've been given treasures. We've been given resources to fund things, to do things. We've been given time. This is our time. And we're only going to get so much of it. We've been given talents. Are you using them for the greater good of what God's called you to? Are you using them in the context of his church? Don't base. Here's one thing I had to learn early on. I shared a little of my story last week. Don't base these, your treasures, your time, or your talents. They don't have to be polished and fully developed for God to use. Okay? Don't base these on where you are now. God always develops and provides and produces in those what he calls you to do. He'll bring what's necessary to fulfill the calling. Here's the application. You were created to live a focused life by accomplishing the purposes of the one who created you. Therefore, you cannot afford to be short-sighted. You must live with the big picture in mind. This is the big picture. And then I want to close Mark chapter 8. For what does it profit a man or a person to gain the whole world with all its pleasures and forfeit his soul? When it says forfeit, it speaks of loss. It could, be, it could be loss to hell or it could be loss of intended purposes. Do you want to stand before God with all these great intended purposes? Nothing to show. And then it says, for what will a man give in exchange for his soul? and eternal life in God's kingdom. What has God placed in you? What does he want to accomplish in 
and through you. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come to you right now. We just, again, thank you for your blessings. We thank you for what you've shown us here today. And and Lord, I just pray for all those that are here, Lord. Help us, whether we're just starting out, maybe we're a student, we're just starting out, and we're beginning to see some of your plan unfold in, in, in our lives. Father, I just pray for them. Father, for those maybe in their 60s, 70s, 80s, Lord, we look in your word and we just see so many times where you just showed out in their lives. Lord, if we're breathing, there's still opportunity. There's still purposes to be fulfilled. We pray for them. And then, Father, we just thank you for who you are, that you are the greatest fulfillment to our lives. Help us to realize that in Jesus' name. Amen.